Jesus is the king who never rose so high that he couldn't see those who were down low. If we would see Jesus, we will look in places kings seldom go. That's from an ordained minister of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Christ the King Sunday, the last Sunday of ordinary time, 27 weeks since Pentecost, and the threshold of Advent. Next Sunday starts the new year of our church calendar. But today, we pause to celebrate and to remind ourselves that Christ is the King. Hallelujah. It's interesting that this year, Christ the King Sunday comes just a few weeks after a division, a, I'm sorry, a divisive set of midterm elections in our country. Recounts are basically over, but tell us that all too clearly that tensions were running high in these closely fought races. And to top it off, today our gospel this year is an apprehensive and edgy conversation between Jesus and Pontius Pilate, the representative of the supreme political authority of the Roman Empire. So as I prepared this sermon, I had to decide if I would use today's gospel as a jumping off place for a political social platform discussion, knowing the risk involved in doing that, or not. There's an easy way out of this bind, or potential tension, I can just focus on the statement from Jesus that says, My kingdom is not of this world. I'm sorry, not from this world. I could say it's got nothing to do with politics. Jesus' kingdom is spiritual. It's not about the politics of this world. But I don't believe that interpretation of the text. If we honestly want to wrestle with this gospel text, we will find Jesus taking the idea of politics and kingship to another level entirely. Let me give you an example of how political this idea can be. An Anglican priest from South Africa shared a story about what it was like to believe Jesus was king during the days of apartheid. The whole congregation was arrested, he said, for refusing to obey the government. Now the person relaying this story thought he misheard him. However, he went on to say that all 240 members of the congregation were arrested and put in jail, from babies to a 90-year-old man. He added the pastor himself was in prison for a year. So to claim that Jesus is king can be dangerous. Now, just before the gospel that we read in John today, right before that, in chapter, still in chapter 18, verses 12 through 14, Jesus was arrested and brought to Annas, formerly a high priest himself, and now father-in-law of Caiaphas, the current high priest. A decision had already been made that Jesus must die. As Caiaphas puts it, it is better to have one man die for the people. However, they didn't have the power of capital punishment which Rome had reserved for itself. So John now picks up the, the trial of Jesus with an early morning transfer to Pilate. According to John's chronology, and in contrast to the account in the Synoptic Gospels, this is not the day of Passover, but the preceding day of preparation. 
The detail is important for John because it means that Jesus will be crucified at the same time the Passover lambs are slaughtered. So Jesus is taken to Pilate, but there's a complication. It's just before Passover, and if a Jew entered the pagan courts of the Roman procurator, he would be ceremoniously unclean and unable to eat the Passover. What irony that they bring the Messiah to to be executed, but are so meticulously pious about God's law that they are afraid of becoming unclean. This means that Pilate has to come off his judgment seat and out from under all the trappings of imperial power to meet this Jewish mob in the streets. So naturally he's not only perturbed, but knows that he's being placed in a political bind. The last thing he wants to do is get into the middle of a Jewish religious hassle right when thousands of Jews are packing the city to celebrate Passover. Though nothing specific has been charged against Jesus, the Jewish authorities vaguely present him as an evildoer or a criminal. Now Pilate appears to recognize the flimsiness of this charge and is ready to dismiss it as merely a Jewish matter. However, when he tells them to take care of it themselves, they let him know that they are not permitted to put anyone to death. So Pilate went back inside to get the facts and decide the case. He summoned Jesus. He asked, are you the king of the Jews? But actually, that's probably not the tone of the question. Obviously, this was not a question meant to get at the facts. Pilate knew that this man was not king of the Jews. So it probably was more like this. So you're the king of the Jews, are you? But Jesus' response was astounding. He never seemed bullied or afraid. He certainly acted like a king of some sort. In contrast to the synoptics, in John's gospel, Jesus is never portrayed as a victim. He always seems to be in control of the situation. Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replies with his own question. Is that your own idea or theirs? Very shrewd. Jesus is pointing out that the question came from Pilate. If it had come from Pilate, would have likely said, are you claiming to be some kind of king challenging the authority of Rome? The answer would clearly be no. But if the question had come from the Jewish leaders, it would be more like, are you the messianic king of Israel? To that, the answer would be yes. So Jesus, like a skillful attorney, wanted to know who's asking the question and why. Well, Pilate was put on the spot, and he didn't like it. I'm not a Jew, am I? It's your own people who have handed you over. What have you done? Now Jesus speaks the words that form the center on which this whole story swings. My kingdom is not from this world. Sometimes this has been interpreted as my kingdom is not of this world. That would mean that his kingdom has little or nothing to do with this world and its politics. No, the point is that Jesus' kingdom does not come from this world. Jesus is denying that his kingdom has a this-worldly origin or quality. He is not denying that, this is a, that it has a this-worldly destination. That's why he has come into the world and why he sent his disciples out into the world. 
He even taught us to pray that his kingdom would be on earth as in heaven. Of course, once Jesus tells Pilate that his kingdom is not from here, Pilate thinks he has acknowledged that he is a king. That's really all Pilate was concerned about, since his business was to defend Rome. And Jesus wasn't about to fall into any traps regarding kingship. Jesus did elaborate on what his kingdom is about. To testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Well, there you have it. A kingdom of truth. Not just the qualities of honesty or truthfulness. He doesn't mean he's just here to say true things. And this is where it gets tricky with John. He is the truth. His voice is God's voice. His words are God's words. Everyone who understands this and recognizes this in him will belong to the truth. Can you imagine how Pilate is taking this profound talk? So he finally says, well, what is the truth? He sadly missed the fact that truth was standing before him. That's the power of this king, Jesus. John is telling us that Jesus stands at the naked tr- as the naked truth that upholds the universe before the lies of religion and politics. The religious leaders refuse to listen to the truth, and Pilate isn't listening either. As we know, they ultimately conspired together to destroy him. But the truth cannot be overcome. It is the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. So as we get to the last of this passage, we see that Jesus' trial before Pilate is a total travesty of justice. The Jewish authorities are hostile to Jesus, but have no legitimate charge against him. They are more concerned about their own survival and purity than they are for the truth. Pilate is depicted as a bored bureaucrat who does not really comprehend and who would prefer not to be bothered by this Jewish disturbance. Jesus is the only one who speaks the truth. Marcus Borg describes Jesus as a social prophet who criticized the elites, economic, political, and religious of his time and was an advocate for an alternative social vision and was often in conflict with authorities. Jesus was guilty of acts of compassion and justice. He cared for people and addressed the socioeconomic causes of their distress. His work was pastoral and political. Jesus points to a kingdom where everyone has what is needed to survive, where none are superior based on status and privilege. How do I react to Jesus? Are there particular social interests I seek to preserve and protect? What accusations do you and I level at Jesus as he peers into our hearts and minds? What defenses do we offer for ourselves and our failings? John portrays both the Jewish leaders and Pilate as those who have eyes but do not see and ears but do not hear. They are so caught up in their own political fog that they are unable to see God in their midst. John is speaking to us. In the end, we must all decide about Jesus, for or against. How we respond depends on whether we see and hear. 
So where will we see this strange king? We will see Jesus in the Walmart parking lots and in tent cities where people are struggling to survive after the fires in California have destroyed everything. We will see Jesus in public schools, places of worship, and in homes where gun violence has become the norm. And the people who could empower change are terribly silent. We see Jesus in shelters where women have found love and rescue from human trafficking. We see Jesus at the border of our country with those who would welcome a caravan of families escaping unspeakable conditions for a better life in a country that they thought had compassion. If we would see Jesus, we will look in places kings seldom go. Amen.